You are listening to the sermon podcast of International Lutheran Church in Seoul, South Korea. I'm Pastor Chuck Hoffman. the title, Rend the Heavens. Here's a definition of Advent. I think it's helpful. It's not a word that we use every day. So if you were to type this into Google, this is what you would see. It says Advent is a noun. It means the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. Synonyms are arrival, appearance, emergence, materialization, occurrence, dawn, birth, rise, development. And uh, the second definition comes from Christian theology. It is the coming or the second coming of Christ. And the word comes to us from Latin, the word adventus, which means arrival. So consider the theme of these four Sundays as we lead up to Christmas. The theme is arrival. The theme is anticipation. We are waiting on God to move in our lives and in our world. And I think that the past few months has given us quite a reminder of our need for God. But first, I want to talk about being a dad. Uh, I've really enjoyed being a father of the twin girls uh, these past year and a half as they're growing. One thing that I am enjoying the most is to see their enthusiasm for life and play and the love that they overflow with even at such a young age. Uh, when I come home from church uh, during the weekdays, they will shout Baba, which is dad in Chinese. And Elsie will insist that I pick her up and I hold her for a while. If Jean leaves the room, when we are together, uh, even for just a few moments, then uh, both Annalise or Elsie will walk up to me and say, Mama, where, where's, they're asking, where is Mama? Where did she go? They want to know where their mother is. A few days ago, Elsie could not sleep. And so we brought her to our bed and she slept the night in our room, but Annalise stayed in her crib in the nursery for the whole night. In the morning when I went downstairs and I walked into the room, Annalise was standing in her crib, patiently waiting, and she had just one question for me. She said, Mei Mei? Mei Mei means little sister in Chinese. She wanted to know where her little sister was. Why is she not in the crib next to me as normal? You see, Annalise was born 20 seconds before Elsie. So now forever, Elsie is Meme. She's younger sister. She'll have that her whole life. Annalise pointed to the crib. Meme, where is she? They hug. They hold hands. They play. They cry. They get frustrated if the other one takes a toy away from them that they want to play with. But life is simple. And it is innocent. And it is honest. They crave love and attention. 
and they just seem to want to learn and explore and play and grow. I see such wonderful simplicity and innocence in my daughters, and I contrast that with what I read in the news every day, which is the opposite of simplicity and innocence and honesty. What I read every day is a mess. It is an utter mess. Now, I could be talking about anything right now, and probably you're wondering, what is he referring to? So let me be specific. I'm talking about the astounding number of men in politics and in media and in entertainment and fine arts over the past year who have had their lives and careers destroyed because of their wrongful acts toward others sexually. Now, Scripture is clear. Sex is good. It is a gift from God. It leads to the creation of new life. And it is extremely powerful in connecting two people emotionally. Because it is so good, and because it is so powerful, it was meant for a relationship that bears the same amount of significance. A relationship that is lifelong in commitment. A relationship that's committed to protect and care for any potential children produced. That's what marriage is. It was never meant to be primarily for personal fulfillment and gratification. And when it is turned into this, then people become a means to an end. People are used and tossed aside. And we are not emotionally hardwired to handle that. It is extremely hurtful. This is why years, and sometimes even decades later, the wounds are still there, the emotions are still raw, and the accusations still come to light. Lives have been ruined. Isaiah, in his prayer, We have all become like one who is unclean. And all of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Who says the Bible's not relevant to modern life? Those words were written 3,000 years ago. And it is a perfect description of our society today. Our iniquities like the wind just... Take us away. The word there, iniquity, uh, in the original language, in the Hebrew, it can mean guilt or sin or wrongdoing. But interestingly, it comes from a root word, a verb, which means to twist. So much of sin, and especially sexual sin and exploitation, is taking something that is good and then twisting it. Messing it up, polluting it. And then everyone is surprised when everything comes collapsing down around them. The Apostle Paul had some good advice for avoiding these types of situations. He was writing 
a letter to a young man, Timothy, who was in a position of authority in a small church. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul tells Timothy to treat older women like mothers and to treat younger women like sisters. In all purity, he says. This is not the pattern that has emerged these last few months from so many powerful men. They are not treating older women with the love and the honor and the respect that we should all have for our own mother. And they are not treating younger women as sisters, someone that they would like to uphold and honor. They are treating everyone as a means to an end. And that is the very definition of iniquity, a twisting of God's good order of how we ought to relate to one another. And even as some pile on to condemnations for some, suddenly their own misdeeds are exposed. It seems Isaiah's words are so true. Everyone is unclean. Everyone has become like a dried out leaf that is barely holding on to the branch until finally, in a sudden moment, they are blown away in the wind, carried off by the consequences of their own sinful treatment of others. So this is the world that we are living in. And this is why Advent matters. Will God enter into this mess, this uncleanness, this mistreatment of others? Will God ever come down here and fix all of this? That was Isaiah's prayer. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. That's a, that's a powerful prayer. That's a dramatic prayer. God, rip the sky apart and get down here. Show us a better way. One where we give instead of take. One where we promote purity and innocence instead of polluting others for our own gratification. Show us how to love our neighbor and to see their complete human value and uphold it. Show us a world where power is used to help others instead of being used to manipulate others. Instead of these crooked paths, show us straight paths. And this is Advent. This is the arrival of our King riding humbly on a colt, on a donkey. Ridiculous. It's an odd celebration, this rural rabbi arriving in the big city. What could he really do? How can one man overturn all of that corruption, all of that abuse, and this twisted interpretation of God's word? First, he looks over Jerusalem. And he weeps. He prays. Oh, I wish I could gather you, he says, like a mother hen gathers her chicks. And then he descends. He descends 
the hill down into the city. He rends the heavens and he comes down, down into our lives, into our iniquity. And he overturns tables and he upsets things and he exposes uncomfortable truths and he disrupts and shows the darkness that was hiding in plain sight. And just as we win some protest when a bright light is suddenly shined in a dark room, the people rejected the message. Turn off the light, they said. Let us remain in this. Let us remain in darkness, in this uncleanness. It suits us. So he was cast out. The arrival in Jerusalem was short-lived. Take him out of the city, they said. The exposure of sin is always a painful process. It hurts. We don't like having others see our shame and our guilt. But it is also the only way that healing can begin. It is the only way truth can start to live. And the ultimate exposure of all sin happened on that Friday with Jesus elevated up on a cross for all to see, exposed. All of our sin, all of your sin was on display there on that day. And the mountains did quake when God arrived, and the nations did tremble at his presence. Surely this is the Son of God, said the Roman soldier. No one has ever heard of something like this. No one has ever seen a God who acts for those who wait for him. The whole world was waiting, and he came. The whole world continues to wait for him to come again. Now, so in the meantime, we call upon him for forgiveness. We call upon him to arrive in our hearts, to forgive and to correct and to teach us the right way to treat one another. In the meantime, our prayer is that God would rend the heavens and come down and reign in us by his Holy Spirit and teach us how to be what Martin Luther called a little Christ, a little Christ to one another. None of what has been coming to light over these past few months surprises me because I know what is in a man's heart. It shocks, but it doesn't surprise. The prayers that Isaiah made 2,700 years ago are equally relevant today. So I suggest that we would call upon him, call upon God now, even. Pray for the arrival of our Savior, not just in our own lives, but that he would meet all of these people in their brokenness. I suggest that we would pray that ultimately there would be a repentance I hope that's what all of this is leading to. Maybe a rethinking of things. 
a repentance, and then forgiveness, and then healing. And that was why he came. That was the advent of our King, his coming to us, and his death that we might live. Amen.